Hey guys, David the Healthness Coach here, yet again with another episode. It is seriously cold out here in uh, Ontario, Canada, uh, as of the recording of this podcast. Um, side note, these are definitely trying times here in Ontario, Canada. For a lot of people who are unable to work, unable to go to school due to the lockdown. And of course, we definitely can't deny Condolences to those who have also been negatively impacted by the COVID-19 virus itself. Um, I mean, I don't think anyone really cares about my personal opinion on the matter. But uh, the one thing that I can say is I think that more than ever, we need to find a way to pull together and try to think about how we're going to get out of this um, on the other end of this better than how we we got in. How does the saying go again? Lemons and lemonade or whatever? I mean, for me personally, I've always been able to kind of MacGyver my way through barriers and negative circumstances um, throughout my entire life. Uh, I mean, like, listen, you give me two sticks and an elastic band and I'll turn that into a fucking Ferrari. In all seriousness, I really do enjoy doing these podcasts. I feel like the fact that we have different means of communication on the internet that we can individualize on any platform to which to best express ourselves and share our thoughts and knowledge with others um, is is quite incredible. Although <laughs> the voice in my head tends to sound way better than how I managed to project it in words. I just, I can't see myself sitting there on Instagram creating these quotes, memes, and all that other shit. Um, maybe it's just because I'm too lazy for that. Today, I will be going over the exercise portion of my company logo. I'll try to dive into my fitness programming plan modality, as well as the concepts that I apply based on the experience and education that I've acquired in the last couple of years. Um, this, of course, will tie into what you can do to best prepare yourself at home should you be looking to continue or pursue any fitness-related activity once the gyms are allowed to operate. So hopefully, this will also spark constructive debates, and conversations amongst my fellow PTs and coaches. So I hope you guys enjoy the podcast. And as always, if you've got questions, comments, concerns related to your fitness, feel free to contact me via my Instagram, healthness4cnd, or via my email, healthness469 at gmail.com. As fitness professionals, we are ultimately given the incredible responsibility to inspire others to initiate and stay consistent with a healthy and fit lifestyle while finding ways to do this safely and with a certain level of efficacy. We tend to train our clients based on the education and experience that we acquire over time and then we apply that with our own training and with our clients and what tends to happen is just like with religious beliefs, we get trapped into believing that we have found the only way or ways to get to a particular goal and that we must have the absolute definitive answer generically or generally to get any particular person to a particular goal. It does result in arguing over who has the better idea, the better principles, or even as low as calling out specific individuals. Kind of like a bunch of children arguing over the strawberry flavored popsicle. And I, I, I just Googled it. Okay, There are approximately 16% of the population in Canada that exercise regularly. Not too sure about the rest of the population, but I believe that the main focus should be to inspire more people to do something rather than who's doing what. 
we have far less of the population doing the wrong thing than doing anything at all. And for this reason, criticizing other fitness professionals and, and potentially discouraging them from inspiring someone to do something about their health and fitness is just for me something that, I mean, I personally don't do or I don't agree with. For one, you never know that the client you're training today was in fact inspired to exercise at all because of the person you try to expose or disagree with. And then the second reason why I don't agree with, with criticizing a specific individual is when you criticize other people for whatever reason, you tend to bottleneck yourself in this weird, obscure position where you now have to create a fictional character of, profession, of perfection both in your personal and professional life consistently and forever as long as you're trying to add value or whatever type of value you're trying to add uh, to other people. And then that's absolutely right. Cognitive dissonance in human society is a real thing. It sucks, but it actually exists. So if you're a guy that makes oranges and you criticize another person's oranges, they'll look at the way that you drive your car, find a problem with it, and then criticize you on the fact that you must not know what you're talking about because you can't drive your car properly. And it's like, you know, we always tend to think that if we place ourselves in that category of perfection, we'll allow more people to like us or to connect with the values in which we're trying to place uh, on the internet or into the world. But the problem is that once you've placed yourself in this kind of box of perfection by lowering others and you make a mistake, whether it be in your personal or professional life, and it becomes known to the public, you'd have lost the trust of those that you're trying to add that value to. So it's better to have a few on your corner to, that connect with the values you're trying to implement than the many who will connect with a fictional character that you've now created that you have to stay consistent like that. Imagine the stress of that. Me personally, I've made mistakes both in my professional and personal life. So who am I to speak to anyone that makes any decision with their own personal life or with their own business? Maybe it might not even be a mistake. Maybe it's just something that I completely disagree with. It does say in the Bible, since a lot of us fitness professionals tend to act like we're pastors of a church and argue over who has the better concept, who has the right or wrong answer. In the Bible, it says, he who is without sin cast the first stone, essentially a sarcastic way of saying there is nobody on this planet that's perfect. I think that it is healthy as fitness professionals that we do challenge concepts and ideas based on our own bias or based on general general. Um, principles that we have a strong belief in, I think it's healthy if we do it in a constructive way, right? So what I mean by that is um, if, say, there's a concept that me personally I disagree with, um, I would be more than happy to share why I disagree with it instead of pointing out a specific individual and making it seem like this person doesn't know what they're doing. I would rather add value in the fitness industry than to try to take something away. Because at the end of the day, I'm not too sure if that modality could work. And sometimes the, that exercise or that modality could work uh, from a palatable position or standpoint. So um, I would rather add what I think could be done better. But that, again, doesn't necessarily mean that um, my way is also going to be the end all, end all that'll help every single individual. 
And that, in part, is what I think makes a very good personal trainer slash coach. I think what makes a good personal trainer slash coach is the one that knows the rules and when to break them. Being sufficient with knowledge and experience from a bias standpoint and from a generic or general standpoint is great, but also being able to deviate that generic or general thought process should it be necessary, right? So I know that there are research and studies out there to suggest the closest trajectory. However, on an individualized basis, uh, this is really just a skeletal model of a broader picture. And what I think that the majority of people don't know um, or probably are misinformed is that a lot of what we do as personal trainers is by trial and error, right? So unfortunately, getting an actual human being to change physically is far more complicated than finding an equation to an answer. It's like when you meet somebody, you get a ton of numbers and then plus signs, equal signs. And then what we have to do as trainers is find an arithmetic sequence that works in getting that individual to the the closest to the desired outcome. So this applies to exercise programming and nutrition for the general population. It's, it's, It's not as linear as most people will believe it to be. So having the ability to think outside the box as a personal trainer, having modality, modalities and principles that you do or exercises, etc., that you do bias or that you do view as the thing that works the most for you is important, but also being able to deviate that thought process per individual and still find other modalities or principles or exercises that could potentially work for this specific individual, um, I think is an asset to have as a trainer. When it comes to exercise and quote unquote, the ability to stay motivated, long story short, motivation just really gets your feet in the door. It's kind of like the engine of a car. It gets the car started, but it doesn't actually drive you to your destination. You still need to drive yourself there. When it comes to your fitness goals, it's the exact same thing, right? Motivation is going to be the thing that's going to, you know, get you to start working out. But the reality is, is that you need to find a way to stay consistent. And the only real way I see to do that is to incorporate some sort of plan in your day, in your week, where it becomes a habitual task. So an example of this would be like brushing your teeth. I used to have a manager at a bigger commercial gym I used to use this analogy and it kind of resonated with me the most. Um, When you wake up in the morning time, you just brush your teeth. I don't think that most of us go to bed super excited and motivated to wake up the next morning and brush our teeth. We just do it. We get up in our day. Before we leave the house, we manage to get our teeth brushed. I'm hoping most of us do that. Um, (laughs) Anyway, but the same principle would apply or habitual task would apply Uh, to your fitness. If you place it somewhere in your day, um, it allows you to be able to make sure that you get that workout in. Another strategy that I think is really good is to build psychological momentum by applying that task. Um, And just while you incorporate it, make sure that it's something that you do most often in your week. So an example would be if you train in the gym three or four times a week, try to get some sort of small workout in 
on the days that you're not going to the gym. So the other three, four days, even if it's something for 15 minutes, it'll build psychological momentum and just incorporate something in your day that you don't have to think about too much. I also think it's important to apply perceptual gratitude in the day when you do do your exercise. So it should be like every day that you work out should be kind of like looked at as this is something that I've applied. Yes, I have a bigger goal, but I've actually accomplished working out today. An analogy that I can use or an example would be like, let's say you want to become a millionaire. Like you want to be a millionaire. You want to have a million dollars in your bank. You don't have to just apply gratitude when you have a million dollars in your bank. If you figured out how to make $4,000 a day, five days a week, once you've made that first $4,000, you're technically a millionaire. You've technically made it. Once you figured out that equation, you've technically reached your goal. So apply this to your, um, to your workout and your fitness goals and it'll become easier to stay consistent. The other thing that you can do is, which is one of the benefits of having a coach or a personal trainer is accountability, right? And having someone that you have to report to to get your workout in, especially in the early stages of your training age. If you have a coach, you have someone that's going to hold you accountable to your fitness goals. It's going to make sure that you maintain a level of consistency. It becomes a habit and then you're not forcing yourself to do it. When it comes to any sort of presentation of a fitness plan, I no longer guarantee aesthetical results. Let me explain. I find it difficult to make a guarantee on results that are based on much more than exercise because when we think biological change in people, we tend to think one plus one equals two or that every chemical reaction will always produce the same chemical transformation based on whatever we do with every single individual. If this were true, then we wouldn't need as much research and studies on specific formulas in the fitness industry as we have today. We would just have a ton of equations and it would be like, just apply this equation to this specific answer and it's going to work out absolutely 100% of the time. I think the problem is that we tend to, and I've been guilty of this myself, we tend to leave out individual emotions, feelings, and then circumstances which do play a huge factor in that change. And it can't necessarily be quantified as much as we would like it to be. So while I most definitely see the value in making promises with a fitness plan on a person's specific goals and being that most people want some sort of aesthetical change, unfortunately, I'm not a plastic surgeon by any stretch of the imagination and I'm certainly not going to be suggesting any drugs so rather than scale aesthetics, I now scale performance as, a, as the driver of results, which should result in some aesthetical changes over time. So an example of this would be if a person can run 5K in an hour, they should by definition look and feel different once they can run that same 5K in 30 minutes. Another example would be if a person can body weight squat, I don't know, uh, 11 reps and that's like their top capacity that's the maximum that they can do they may look and feel different back squatting 115 pounds on their back 11 times so I now apply performance as a means of driving results 
than aesthetical. Everyone is made differently and everyone's body reacts differently to, let's say, the same concept. So for me, I think driving performance allows me to shift the trajectory to a far more suitable and realistic guarantee that I'm far more in control of based on my scope than what this person does outside of the gym. I can gauge lifestyle a lot easier by how this person performs with exercise and deviate the suggestions on lifestyle based on the progression of that result, right? And with gauging performance, the huge benefit is that the person can see results as quickly as in one session, right? We can track it every single week and they can see the progressions on a weekly basis versus looking at the scale and hoping that it's going to change. This, of course, when they see the um, their ability go up and we know like on a biological level that we must be changing to some degree and we're changing for the better if we're able to perform better, it encourages them to have a sense of gratitude and to want to stay consistent with their training because this is not something that's easy. For me personally, I've been training for the better part of 17 years to get to where I am and consistently nonstop for the last, I would say, like nine years, right? And as I mentioned before, it's taken me that much time to get to where I am. And then I've met other people that they've been able to accomplish what I've accomplished in half the time and at an even younger age. So everyone's made different. And I think that it's important as personal trainers that we manage the scope in which we practice and really drive performance versus aesthetical results. This is just me and this is what works for me. And it allows me to make a promise and a guarantee that is far more realistic. In my opinion, I think that every person should have a performance-based goal. The need to want to lose weight is important. The need to want to build muscle is very important. The need to lead a healthier lifestyle long-term is absolutely important. However, an if an individual doesn't have any sort of performance-based goal, for one, I'm not sure if they actually live. And then two, they might need to change their lifestyle. I know that comes off as being very, very harsh, but let me explain. We all more or less understand that exercise is important, I think. Our body needs movement and requires movement to healthily sustain itself from a structural standpoint. So if you happen to have kids, for an example, you know that these guys can play three hours straight at high intensity nonstop and still have more energy to be able to keep going. So if you have kids, I think that it's a good idea to lead by example and be able to do fun and engaging activities with them at least 30 minutes to 45 minutes a day minimum. This encourages them to maintain a good sense and level of physical and mental health that they can now carry throughout the rest of their life. I couldn't tell you how many of my clients that would have been far better off and would have gotten even gotten results much faster had they stayed active 30 minutes a day from the age of five years old till the day that they met me. So I think it's a very good goal to have to consistently be able to apply that practice to your children so that they can reap the benefits. If you're a person that tires out quickly or that you can't even move after working your job nine to five to be able to spend time with your kids, I think that 
again, that's a very indication that a very good indication that there's a performance goal there that you might need more energy to be able to play with them. And I think that it's very important that kids are very, very active. Now, if you don't have kids, then an example that I can use is if you go on, let's say like a seven to 10 day vacation on a resort, we'll use a resort as an example. Do you really want to spend seven to 10 days staring at the ocean and the water? Like, I mean, I know it could be nice six hours a day on that vacation, but don't you want to go snorkeling, scuba diving, water skiing, parachuting, exploring, hiking, bungee jumping, etc., horseback riding, whatever. At least one or two hours in that day. Now that's living. And when you start being able to have the ability to live, you'll find yourself in a position feeling much more fulfilled and happier in life itself. And when you do take a vacation, you'll actually feel a lot more fulfilled and happier on that vacation where you can relax and also do activities. And also when you get back, you're not super exhausted and super tired from a vacation that was supposed to allow you the opportunity to kind of have like a small escape from life itself. And yes, exercise is exercise. Whether it be weight training, some dance class, martial arts, anything that requires movement, etc. All of it works. It's all good for you. The only bad form of exercise is the one that you hate and the one that isn't giving you the results that you're looking for. Before we talk about how to create a fitness plan or my version of the fitness plan that works for me, we can't talk about that without delving into some of the things that I don't understand that's out there that I don't really get the notion uh, or comprehend. Now, I did make a podcast in the past on misconceptions in the fitness industry, so you can always feel free to take a listen to that. But I think there are an additional few examples of certain things that I'm not understanding. For one, I don't understand the intention behind a bench press with your feet up. I, I mean, I've asked this question from my colleagues in the last year, um, and I haven't been able to get a stable answer. Um, I don't understand the application or where I would incorporate a bench press with your feet off the floor in a fitness program. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure. Some say it helps create core stability while performing an upper body push. In my opinion, I'd rather do a landmine press where at least you can maintain a, pel a stable pelvis while pushing and still get to the same outcome. I mean, I, I, I don't want to look like a baby getting his diaper changed if I don't have to. Doesn't necessarily mean that this particular exercise can't work for someone else. If you give me nunchucks, I don't know how to use nunchucks, so it'll be useless to me. Just like I wouldn't incorporate or use exercises that I don't understand the intent or how to use it. All of this to say that everything that I'm saying here with regards to any fitness-related information out there that I disagree with, sometimes it's based on the fact that I don't have any idea where to implement it or I found a better way to implement something that works for me that I might not understand what the intention is or maybe it's just my lack of understanding how to effectively use it with myself or my clients. So I'll always add once again what I agree with and what does work uh, that will get me to the same outcome or desired outcome. So I think all that matters at the end of the day is am I able to produce results in the best way possible to everyone that I train that trains with me as well as with my own training. Another concept 
that kind of baffles me that I don't really understand is isolating a muscle within a muscle group. I don't know. I, I may not be accurate, but I actually don't know if you can train different parts of a particular muscle by shifting the position of your hands on a bar or a dumbbell. So an example of this would be, you know, apparently you can do a bicep curl um, and train the inner part of your bicep by having your arms further away from the center line of your body and your outer biceps by bringing your arms closer together. Personally, I've tried this and for some reason, it just, it never worked for me. I, I, I came to the conclusion that the ships rise with the tide. I, I mean, I don't personally care about training my vastus, vastus lateralis. I just, I train my quads. I mean, I, like I said, I don't understand the intention behind why someone would want to drive stimulus into one particular part of their bicep anyway. I mean, the concept might work with athletes like bodybuilders. Maybe they have better cognitive function of their body and they're able to actually isolate one particular part of their muscle. However, all of my clients, for the most part, are general population. People that work out, you know, only with me. They're not doing any sort of sports-related activity outside of training with me. So for me, when it comes to arm position, I'm always looking at where can this person derive the most stability from and create the most amount of force from. So if we're doing a bicep curl where our arms are starting at the sides of our body, can we better execute and exert stability from that position as we bring our hands further or our arms further into flexion, then it might require more stability in being able to do a bicep curls from there. So for me, that's really the intent of why I would shift arm position. It really would be a question of rotator cuff stability. Same thing with the tricep. If I'm going to do like a, you know, a skull crusher, I'm now placing my arms in a position where it's kind of like I'm doing a bench press, but I'm just bending my elbow. So my scapula, my shoulders in more flexion. So it's going to require more shoulder stability than if I did it with a cable extension and I just did a tricep extension with, with a cable and I'm pulling it straight down towards my body. It's going to be far easier. It's going to require less stability. I think that that's why most people might find it that they're able to create more force um, doing a decline bench press versus, let's say, an overhead press or even a flat bench press because it requires more stability in the rotator cuff or in the shoulder as you bring your arm further into flexion. The same can be said about your arm being further apart. So at the end of the day, that's the only reason why I would shift arm position the same thing would apply with legs. Like I would, if a person is unable to do something on their feet or execute a movement on their feet, I would get them to be further to the ground. So if let's say they're sitting down and we're doing something, some exercise where they're, I don't know, their glutes, they might find it easier if they have some sort of morphological imbalance or pathological instability or whatever, I'm going to get them to do it on the ground versus on their feet and then work their way up to being able to do it on their feet. The other question that cracks me up is, is when someone asks me, um, if they can get bigger biceps, like if, if they can just kind of have their biceps be like this huge thing and the rest of their body just stays the same. Like, I mean, is there actually a Kirill Tarishan, AKA Russian Popeye out there who naturally has biceps like 
these huge biceps like that, like, and the rest of their body is just kind of normal. I don't even think that spot increase is even possible. Like, I mean, if I punched a person in the arm, I'm, I'm, I'm sure they'll look swole in that particular area for a little bit, but I don't actually know if muscles itself can grow unproportional to the rest of the, the upper torso or the lower torso. I know that let's say people that bike have like these ginormous quads, but for me, I would think it's just that blood is able to circulate far better into that particular muscle group. Doesn't necessarily mean that the muscle itself is larger. Um, and then of course, like because that muscle is being stimulated, it's tearing the muscle fibers and in, in which is this is very similar to me, let's say, or someone hitting their arm against the wall and then it's bruising, right? So it just, it grows in that sense, but I don't actually think that you can grow one particular part of your body. I might tend to think that forearms and calves could be the exception. I don't know. What I do know is that you should probably be able to pull your body up. If you're looking to get big biceps or big arms or whatever, you should probably be able to pull yourself up a couple of times, at least do a couple of effective push-ups before looking at whether or not you want to become an amoeba. I don't necessarily believe in bad form. I think that there are exercises out there that individuals do that probably doesn't have any intention. And if you've got time to waste on exercises that don't have any intention, then I guess it's okay. I wouldn't consider that to be the wrong thing. Um, I also think that when it comes to bad form, that it's more of a byproduct of compensation. If you are compensating in a movement and you don't have the prerequisite stability to be able to execute a movement, kind of like a house wobbling around on top of an unstable foundation. I mean, unless that house wobbling like that was for entertainment purpose and purposes and it was intended to wobble like that, then I mean like that would be a byproduct of compensation which could produce problems in the future. So an example would be if your knees cave in while performing a squat, for me, the question becomes, did you intend on your knees caving in? Who's to say you're wrong if you did intend on caving in your knees while you were squatting? If you can cave your knees in and out as you're squatting with proper control and tension, who's to say that I'm right and you're wrong, right? If you can have that level of control doing that. Our body has a natural response system that allows us to move in these obscure positions, which does mean that we have muscles in places that we generally don't use or that we think it would be the unright or unproper form. Now, if your knees cave in and out, if we're going to use the knees example during a squat, if your knees cave in and out quickly and it looks to be without control like a twitch, that might be an indication of compensation, which to me would be the thought process of like, okay, this is probably being done incorrectly. Um, another example would be like if your lower back is rounding as you're deadlifting. So if you're going for a deadlift and your lower back starts to round as you initiate it, that might be another indication of compensation. And the only real kind of like bad form I would say would be the one that is preventing you from, if you're doing a movement and you're trying to progress and you're having a hard time progressing with it, then you might need to do something different. Or if you start to have excruciating pain while doing the movement, that might be an indication that you're gonna injure yourself, but usually it's a byproduct of compensation. 
Believe it or not, if a person is incorrectly breathing or they don't know how to brace, that can automatically throw off the technique even if the person executed the movement correctly. As I don't necessarily believe in bad form, I do believe in movements with compensation where the person can have a hard time progressing or potentially injure themselves, which could be bad. Um, I also don't necessarily believe in bad movements. I've heard someone say that an upright row is dangerous because of internal rotation or whatever the reason is. I've also heard that doing anything behind the neck is dangerous. I mean, I get it. Nobody cares about how much you can PR behind the back of your head um, or being able how much you can PR a cable lat pull down behind a neck. But me, for instance, I want to be able to encourage my body to be able to generate some sort of force um, in an internally rotated position from the shoulder. Um, an example of this would be I would do a cable lat pull down behind the neck. And the reason why I'm doing that is because I'm transferring it into my ability to be able to pull that bar down into my neck when I'm back squatting. So if back squatting is all right, then I don't see why being able to do a um, cable lat pull down behind the neck shouldn't be okay. Um, and as previously mentioned, the position of my arms, I want my arms to be as close to my body as, as possible um, when I am back squatting. So I wanna be able to incur more um, external stability of the shoulder and internal stability of the shoulder as well so that I can uh, produce a lot more force in my upper body as I'm coming up on the concentric um, motion of that squat. So movements and bad movements, don't believe in that. I believe that they all have a place and I think that we should be able to uh, create some sort of a force from either position, externally, internally, flexion, extension, abduction, adduction. We should be able to create some sort of uh, stable force from there. So when it comes to creating a fitness plan uh, for specific individuals, being that I train general population, we're not talking about athletes here. There is a skeleton model that I that I use, a template that I use. Um, that's kind of like the staple of of what I'm going to be doing with this person. Uh, this template's been the one that's worked with for me in the last year. I apply it to myself and I apply it uh, with my clients. So if you're a trainer out there and you know, you want to try this method. Uh, I'm open to um, uh, conversation if you'd like to communicate with me and ask me more information about it. Uh, if you are struggling or happen to be struggling with uh, any sort of um, fitness planning um, with your clients or on yourself. I also encourage other people that do train on their own to utilize something like this. It could work uh, for where someone is trying to go. Um, I'm not going to include uh, variation exercise variation because it really depends on uh, a person's individual mechanical or technical limitations and the goal that they're trying to accomplish. Um, I'm also not going to put reps and sets in there. However, ideally, I do think that every person with a head, torso, two arms, two legs, to some degree should be able to execute effectively a one leg RDL hip airplane, a deep squat and be able to create force from there and an overhead press, even if it's with just a bar. Um, when it comes to the fitness programming itself, I like to use the RPE scale. I find that it's really easy for me to understand the level of intensity that this person is going through by using this scale, especially in the early ages of training. 
right? Um, for those who don't know, RPE is an acronym for rate of perceived exertion. 10 being the maximum effort where you couldn't even do one more rep or take one more step, even if your life depended on it. Nine being that you had one more left in the tank. Eight being that you had two more left and so on and so forth. So there are three phases in this template that I use. Typically, each phase could last anywhere between six to eight weeks, depending on the individual. Um, once again, this is really geared specific to general population. The person that works nine to five that doesn't isn't necessarily an athlete. Um, and being able to um, make sure that they are accomplishing things in each phase is super important that they graduate and are able to move on to the next phase. Each phase could have a podcast of its own. However, what I'll include here is the intention of each phase along with what an individual can expect in the hour. So the first phase, the intent would be to learn to effectively create some sort of stable force um, from the deepest squat that they're able to execute and from the most stable upper body press or pull that this person can execute. As I said before, any variation of the exercise will be dependent on the person's specific goal uh, and what their structure is. In this first phase, I usually like to keep the RPE between six and seven um, as to not get them to feel like they got hit by a truck and they'll be looking forward to the next session and not be super sore. So the first 15 minutes of that hour that we're training in that phase We'd be doing some sort of static stretching for 15 minutes and working a little bit on stability. And then we'll spend about 30 minutes doing uh, a little bit of strength stuff with the movements. Um, and then we would do uh, the last 15 minutes, some form of cardio. And that would take us through the next six to eight weeks. Once a person is able to get into these positions and we've identified what their most stable position is with the deepest squat and you know, their ability to do a upper body press or pull. We now move on to muscular skill adaptation. In this phase, I'm only focused on volume. So with their new ability to move well, we just incur more repetition. And we allow ourselves the ability to gain cognitive ability of executing those movements naturally so that we don't have to think about them. At this point, because the person has you know, develop some sort of ability that, you know, let's say they had like a te technical limitation in the previous phase, we overcame that. So now they can just get used to doing the movements and we don't have to cue as much. We may focus on acceleration depending on how quickly this person is improving in terms of the concentric movement. So when this person is generating force um, and when it comes to lifestyle, we'll kind of delve a little bit more into lifestyle and just add little bits of um, tasks that we can incorporate that might be missing in the lifestyle, but nothing too complicated. I like to keep the RPE here between seven and eight. Um, in the hour, the person can expect to do about 15 minutes of dynamic mobility, 30 minutes of just volume training within uh, the, the compound movements, um, and then 15 minutes of conditioning. So Things like burpees and battle ropes and sled pushes, etc. Once a person is then able to execute those movements cognitively and we don't have to cue as much, that's when I start to think about 
shifting them into the third phase, which is maximizing neurological potential. I'm able to add more resistance here so they can we can bring down the repetitions. If depending on this person, we can then um, focus on increasing concentric velocity and decreasing the tempo while uh, coming down on the eccentric on any lift. Um, and this allows the person to see dramatic changes from this standpoint because the intensity is far higher. The RPE is between nine and 10. Um, and at this point, we've managed to understand this person's specific circumstances and what actually works for them outside of the gym that they can implement. So by now, I have a greater understanding of this person's circumstances and the lifestyle suggestions that we're implementing are actually working for this specific individual. In the hour, the person can expect to do five minutes of dynamic mobility, 45 minutes of strength training within those compound movements, and then 10 minutes of core and conditioning. Now, a lot of people tend to ask me when it, when it comes to mobility and stability, what do I do before getting into the strength training? I train my clients like I cook. I train myself like I cook. When I cook, I don't have an actual recipe like put in like two tablespoons of salt. I typically get them to do the movement and depending on how that movement felt to them, then we might do some sort of static uh, stretching or mobility stretching or stability movement based on what they're feeling. And then we'll go back and do the movement again. So kind of like I said, cooking, right? You'd, you know, you would taste your, you, you know, your soup. If it tastes like it, if it's missing salt, we might add salt and then taste it again, right? So that's typically how I incorporate those um, um, mobility stretches. I don't use foam rollers or anything like that. Um, but at this point, the person is then able to see a very quick progression in terms of um, how much force they can generate and being that the goal is for them to move as their body was intended, we can then look at activities that they do enjoy doing and staying consistent with that on a frequent basis. Um, and if that's training with me because they want to take it to the next level, then we continue and move on to a different style of training that I can then depict in another podcast in the future. Now I get it with this fitness plan. Where's those beefy aesthetical results? How do I look like you? So I'll leave you with this. I'll leave you with a question instead of an actual answer. Think about seven flights of stairs. How fast do you think you can climb those stairs? Now imagine what you look like if you're able to climb those seven flights of stairs with two bags of groceries in your hand worth or that weigh 30 pounds in half the time. You can do it much faster now. What do you think you'll look like? So while we are in the current lockdown, most would ask, what can we do from home? Well, the first thing that I would do is apply the first phase of my training modality in the fitness plan, which would be to learn how to move. Now, if you don't have any means of learning how to move, I do have a fitness program that I'm giving out for free to anyone listening to, listening to this podcast. I was giving it out for free um, by participating in my Christmas fitness challenge, but I'm going to give that to anyone who's listening to this podcast that wants to understand how they can move for them. What this will do is it'll allow people that do work out frequently to maintain their stability and mobility for when the gyms open back up. And for a beginner, it'll allow them to be able to get their feet wet into training without making them feel like they got hit by a bus or a truck. 
and it'll allow them to kind of understand movement a little bit better. So again, feel free to contact me if, you, if you're interested in this program and I'll be more than happy uh, to send that off to you. As previously mentioned, I've done a podcast on misconceptions in the fitness industry as well as another podcast on some of the training principles that I apply when training clients. So if you're looking for more information related to the exercise portion of my company and me as well, I encourage you to take a listen to those. Um, Every trainer has their way of getting someone to a particular goal. While this works for me and my clients, this doesn't mean that it's the only way. And it also doesn't mean that this way is going to work for everyone. So it's absolutely necessary that if you're looking to train with me one-on-one that you do it complimentary consult beforehand so that we can see how we can integrate this into where you want to go and as well as figuring out your uh, uh, particular circumstances. I think what's special about the program is that it allows me to be able to deviate as much as I need to to accommodate an individual circumstances as well as um, you know wherever it is that they're starting from uh, from a technical standpoint and allow us to be able to progress um, and be able to see progressing, progression as quickly and as, as effectively as possible. So I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. And as always, if you've got questions, comments, concerns related to your health and fitness, feel free to contact me via Instagram, healthness4cnd, or via my email, healthness469 at gmail.com.